So uh, today we start out on a new thing. We start a little series called Teach Us to Pray. And uh, this, this like sermon series, Teach Us to Pray, it's not an attempt to be cute and say like, oh, that sounds like a pithy thing that we can uh, advertise well or something like that. But rather this little title, Teach Us to Pray, as we'll see here in a moment, it comes from the life of those who were trying to be with Jesus, from his disciples. And in keeping with some of their curiosity around Jesus, this statement comes forward, teach us to pray. And it's as though when they look at Jesus's life, they see the person in whom they want to root their life, a life of love and joy and peace. And if you've been around churchianity or some form of church, you might have heard those three words strung together, love, joy, and peace. It's like this holy triumphant and it sounds delightful, does it not? Like, I, I, at least to me, as I'm like, as I was writing this, I'm like, yes, love, joy, and peace. And it seems, at least at a human level, um, that not even the most aggressive nihilist, who's like arguing that life is meaningless, would uh, be opposed to a little bit of love, maybe a little bit of joy and peace in their life. But they would, I don't know, coexist with some love, joy, and peace. Because I think woven into the fabric of our souls is this desire, like a deep yearning for that holy triumphant, for love and joy and peace. And so when the disciples are looking at Jesus, I'm just imagining that they're seeing a person for whom love, joy, and peace are natural byproducts, the natural expression of his life. And so they want in. And as, as far as I could tell, it seems like prayer was then and is still now the way that we move toward a life of love, joy, and peace. And I felt a great measure of caution of like uh, putting an outcome in front of us that prayer yields this. There's no way to determine that. I would love if I could say, hey, we're going to pray from now until the start of Advent, which is 1128, November 28th. And then we're all going to be loving and joyful and peaceful people um, but a light, like turning our attention to pray actually may be more chaotic than any of those things. But what, I, what I'm coming to find is true in my lived experience is that uh, that is the pathway where even in the chaos, there, those things spring up. And so we're, we're um, God willing, going to turn our attention to this thing. Because um, wouldn't it be so frustrating if you'd been following Jesus, but you didn't really know how? Like, what does it mean to be with Jesus? What's it mean to cultivate a life with Jesus? And so we want to turn our attention there. Um, and so I invite you, if you have your Bibles, you can flip or tap your way on over to Luke chapter 11. That's going to be our teaching text this morning. Um, but if you're finding your way there, uh, just um, keep a thumb in Luke 11 and then bounce your way over to Luke chapter 5. See, we're going to uh, do a, a short little journey with Jesus's disciples to kind of hear what they have heard that might have elicited this, this statement, this question, Lord, teach us to pray. So in Luke chapter five, we're gonna pick up in verse 15 and kind of cruise through a couple of scriptures here before we get to our teaching text in Luke 11. So Luke chapter five, verse 15, uh, this is the word of the Lord. Yet the news about him, this is Jesus, spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And then check this out, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Go ahead and just turn the page, Luke chapter six. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside, as you do, to pray. 
And then he spent the night praying to God. Notice Jesus' orientation. It's not um, this prayer that goes out just into uh, the, the universe or the cosmos in general. There's a specific trajectory. And go ahead and turn the, the page, maybe two more pages in your Bible. Uh, find your way to Luke chapter 9. We, we pick up with Jesus in Luke 9, 28. And about eight days after Jesus said this, and what this means, the, the this here is Jesus has just predicted his coming death. So Jesus is, is saying that, hey, I'm going to go toward Jerusalem. There's going to be some hostility that we encounter here, and there's going to be some people who give me over into the hands of men, and I, I'm going to be put to death. So Jesus says this, and then eight days after he does this, he takes Peter, John, and James with him up onto a mountain, and he goes there to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. I'm sure this is your normal prayer experience, what you just like go into your prayer closet and then boom, your face, the brilliant, but you have the closet. Anyways, I digress. So Jesus' face changed. This is, we know this text is the transfiguration. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. See, in this moment of prayer, Jesus is, is transfigured before the eyes of Peter, James, and John. And right there, it's like the brilliance of the divine is showing forth from them in the conduit of that reality. It's, it's prayer. And finally, we get to our teaching text. So Luke chapter 11, pick it up in verse 1. And we'll just read the first verse here. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. I love the ambiguity of Luke right here. Just like so where do you go to pray? Is it up on a mountain? All that? No, it's just at a place. Wherever he was, that's what he was doing. So in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And so we'll actually just today, we're going to work through that. But before we get there... Um, just based on like this quick little sample set of moments mentioning prayer in Jesus's life, these roughly six chapters in the gospel according to Luke, would you have any guess of what like the baseline reality or the most robust theme in Jesus's life could be? Prayer. Um, I'll ask some questions. Some of them will be rhetorical, but you're more than welcome to like do a little response. I know um, maybe most of the context we grew up in, it's like one person speaks, everybody listens. Let's uh, mix that up a little bit. Uh, so what is prayer? That one's rhetorical. I'll actually answer that. We'll, we'll, and we'll let just Jesus, these passages kind of give us the contours of this. So think about what we just read. Luke chapter five, and Jesus speaks to a crowd. The crowds press in. Jesus withdraws to this quiet place to be with God. And if those moments are kind of spurned as though the, the crowds keep pressing in, Jesus will go more than just to a quiet place. He'll like climb a mountain <laughs> and he'll do so in the night so that he has space to be with the Father, to just keep the company of the Father. And notice um, there in Luke 9, it's, it, or it's not about, or Luke chapter 6 rather, it's, it's not about this personal piety. It's not like Jesus is just there to have this private moment of worship. No, it seems to be that he actually wants to be with the Father. So prayer, at least as it's on display in Jesus' life, is at least this and certainly more, it's talking with God. I, 
I have too many books on prayer. And, and what if it is just as simple as talking with God? Now, I know it's far more complex and nuanced than that, but if we could just get that prayer is talking with God, we'd be in a really good starting place. Just listen to how Jesus of Nazareth describes a praying life. So in, in Matthew chapter six, this is called the Sermon on the Mount. Right before he gives the, the Lord's prayer in, in Matthew chapter six, which is kind of the longer one, Luke chapter 11 is the shorter version. We, we read this, this is Matthew 6, 6, and I'm reading from the message, which is kind of a paraphrase from Eugene Peterson. Just, just listen to this. Let Jesus' words kind of wash over here. This is, this is what you do in prayer. Here's what you do. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there and simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. It's a bit indicting there, Eugene. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is what your father, this is your father you're dealing with. And he wants, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. I don't know if you heard that, um, but we don't have to role play. I, I, I don't know for how many of you, your, your life with the divine, your life with Jesus has been one where you kind of have to get your life in order, get your poop in a pile, and then you can come to Jesus. But apparently, according to Jesus, we can just leave that alone. What this means is that if, if we're like pissed off, we can be that with God. If you are grieving a loss, you can be that with God. If you are if you're simply frustrated with the way that your life is going, you can be that with God. And all of that is prayer. You see, when, I, uh, when our family came to Des Moines, I had all these like grand visions, or at least what I thought were grand visions, on being a part of a community that would cultivate this like... I don't know, spiritual formation where there's revival level prayer and uh, like some of the weird stuff is going on. Like, and some of the not, maybe not so weird stuff, what we would just think of, but it would be like what Joel in Joel chapter two prophesies that there would be young people who are all of a sudden, they're prophesying. The young people are having visions. The old people, come on for the old people, they're dreaming dreams. And, and I thought like that stuff is pretty legit. And I thought that would just like happen. Like we would, we would come in here, we would move, we start maybe praying a couple times a week and then like, boom, it would just roll out. And what I'm learning is that uh, we're not altogether in control of these things, are we? <laughs> like like our, our spiritual formation in the way of Jesus requires the spirit. Um, I know that's really revolutionary, but... Uh, and I think what's just being exposed in me, or at least in, in the pandemic was a great help to this, is that I often want my religious devotion to work like a formula. I want prayer to quote unquote work. I want things like silence to be the place where God speaks the loudest. And, 
And I want our gatherings to be a place where we encounter the tangible presence of the living God. And I still, I want all those things, but what I'm learning is that um, they may not be attainable on my own terms. In other words, I confess that I want the outcomes of a life with God sometimes more than just life with God, more than times in quiet or life. Does that, is that like just me or... Hopefully this feels like, yes, this prayer is hard. And so if that resonates with you, let us just turn finally uh, to Luke chapter 11, verse 2. This is the prayer that Jesus gives for his followers. And so if you are even like just checking out the way of Jesus or you've been following Jesus for a long time and you're just wondering, what, what might he want from me? He says this, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. And so what you'll notice about kind of the remainder of our time is it's gonna be freighted toward that first part, which is this idea of how do we orient ourselves toward the living God? And then the latter part, which is about like asking for stuff, we'll we'll cover that in brief, but I think we know how to do this. Um, probably because that's, if we're honest, that's where our prayer life starts is like, I need this thing, this is hurting, this sucks, Jesus help me. And that's a beautiful place. And yes and amen to starting there, but I, I think paying attention to the order that Jesus gives is really helpful. So what, what is the first word that Jesus gives us? This is not rhetorical. What is the first word that he gives us? Yeah, Father. And so over the course of the gospels, what you'll see is that Jesus will refer to the divine um, as God, and that's pretty normal. And that's that's an appropriate way for a Jewish rabbi to talk about Yahweh. Um, And yet what is most common is that Jesus will talk about the divine as his father. And now you see this with some other rabbis in Jesus's day, they'll pull on some of the wisdom of the Psalms that talk about the parental nature of Yahweh, the the God of Israel. And so they'll talk about God as father, but for Jesus, it's far more than just like a, a category that he's pulling from, it's personal. It's as though the God of Israel truly is his father and he is his son. And what's beautiful here, and we'll riff on this in a little bit, is that Because this is true for Jesus, in Jesus, that can be true for you and for me. And I I just want to note that for many of us, this is actually the worst way for Jesus to invite his people to pray. Like this, at least this is just me. Like it's much easier for me to engage with Jesus as the, like the sovereign king of the cosmos than to relate to him as father. Perhaps this is not entirely unique to my story, but the, like the woundedness that I carry from my past, just there's this barrier that I encounter with this very first word that I just don't know if the Father's, that God's intentions toward me are good. And so what that means is there's a lot of work to be done. And maybe that's cliche for a a millennial to talk about their father wounds, but be that as it may, like this is a real place. And if that resonates for you, like if the the word father is a place where you, you find like a place of harm or frustration or abuse, like 
I just, I want to invite us into the work. Because on the other side, I think there's some joy to be had there. But it means that there's some things to be worked on as well. And I know that my story is not your story. I'm not trying to make that the case. But how we relate to God is key because how we think about God, it not only shapes how we relate to him, but it shapes whether I think, whether we'll show up to him in prayer. Like whether we will actually be honest with him about what's going on. And I just stay here with me a moment because um, our orientation to God is significant. Um, Have you ever considered this? Have you ever, like what comes to mind when you think of God as father? Does he like you? Like, is he glad to hear from you? Do you think he wants to be with you? But maybe your thoughts are more along the lines of like, I know you're busy, but I've got some stuff going on. Or, or maybe it's like a little bit more drastic, like, okay, you probably hate me right now, but you're also like all loving, so maybe you just like placate him with like, oh, holy one. And maybe that's, for me, that was kind of funny, but I know it's also kind of scary. You laugh because otherwise you're crying. And I just want to say, like, if we're going to spend the whole of this fall leaning into prayer, maybe this is the time that we finally contend with how we conceive of God. Because if you're going to show up here week after week and you're just like, I don't know if the Father's intentions are good toward me. If you're going to show up here week after week and go, I just don't know if I can trust him, then this is probably going to be a waste of your time. And you might hear some things that are like, oh, I never knew that about prayer, but you're never going to actually put them into practice. You're not going to, because if there's no trust there, or at least some courage to wrestle, then prayer is useless. So maybe this is the time to like dig into this stuff. And, And maybe wrestling sounds a bit scary. Maybe you've been told that wrestling with God is a sign of weakness or backsliding. I would disagree. Like to wrestle, to contend is to stay with God. And I too think that that is prayer and that is beautiful. So for Jesus, man, this is the place where we start. And then, then Jesus kind of just turns up the weirdness because what's the next word that he gives to us? <laughs> hallowed. I don't know if many of you were like texting your friends, like hallowed be your outfit the other night. Like, it was just on point. But apparently, like, in, as, as this word comes to us in the English, hallowed be your name, this, this word um, is simply about setting something aside as holy. And holy isn't, like, another word that we, we really use a lot. So you're just going to have to um, work with me here to kind of get our minds around this. So holiness, generally, as it comes to our minds, or at least what I imagine came to your minds, is like a moral thing. Now, holiness certainly has moral implications, but it's, it's wider and deeper and broader than that because the, the idea of hallowing or holy, it's, it's to present the uniqueness of something. It's for something to be literally set apart. And in this case, the thing that's being hallowed is God's name. And I just want to stop for a moment. Let the familiarity of that word just kind of drift to the side. What is Jesus inviting us here? What's he inviting us into? Because that's what hallowed be. If you pray that, you're like invited to do a thing. 
Jesus is simply saying, let's just riff on it like this. May your name be set apart as holy. And with that uh, kind of comes some weird stuff. So is that, is that like our job? <laughs> is it our job? This is beautiful. Let's just, um, is it our job to, are we the PR agents, our reps for Jesus? I don't, I don't think so. I think there's something deeper going on here. And so can I just be a Bible nerd with you all for like a, a moment? Is that okay? Okay, I'm getting enough head nods to just go with it. Okay, so um, this might feel like a pop quiz. Do any of you remember the third commandment off the top of your head? If you don't, I'll just, let's just roll it out. Uh, no, four. Uh, yeah, like um, do not take the Lord's name in, in vain. Yeah, so we all know that one. So is that about cussing? I don't know. So like, I, at least at a popular level, I wonder if it's like, oh no, don't, don't, no GDs in here. And I, I certainly think there is something to how our speech represents God. But the work of a gal named Dr. Carmen Imes and her work, it's called Blessing or Bearing God's Name. It just flipped the script on how I think about Jesus's invitation here. And so, so lean into this for a moment because hallowing God's name is actually something we do with our bodies. It's how we uphold. It's literally this idea of how we carry or how we embody. Like the name of Jesus is on us if we have given our trust and allegiance to him. Therefore, what we do with our time, with our resources, with our money, with our bodies, like our physical bodies, that stuff matters to the living God. That's how we carry. That's how we hallow. This has broad sweeping implications for our sexual ethic, for our finances, for every nook and cranny of our life. And Jesus is inviting us to like participate in this, which is um, pretty scary. See, according to, to Jesus, this prayer actually helps us to be a part of the restoration of his name because apparently his name's not being hallowed. And so we who are with him get to carry it in a way that's in keeping with his character and purpose. And this actually relates right into this next line, which is this weird but beautiful statement, your kingdom come. So uh, in, our, in our church, you might have seen in Des Moines as it is in heaven, have you just jumped on the website? And that is a riff from the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's gospel. It's your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Basically, the way that it is in the heavens, the way that it is in God's space, may it be here among us. And I know that for us here in 2021, um, these, this kind of language can throw us for a loop. We're not in a British commonwealth um, the last time we were, we, um, you know, had like a violent war <laughs> to throw off um, oppressors. Apparently taxation was too much. And so here we find ourselves with this rebellious spirit to the language of kingdom. And yet this is, this is Jesus's primary announcement. And so it's kind of weird. And yet here it is, that the kingdom of God, the way that God wants the world to be has come near. Turn to it and trust that he actually has good intentions towards you. And that he wants you to be a part of bearing those out to your neighbor. <laughs> That's the beauty of what Jesus is helping orient us toward. This is a central call on Jesus's life and he invites us to participate in it. And I, I, I noticed this this week, and I don't know if it was something I read or if it was like the spirit of the living God, so take it as you will. Maybe just take it towards something I read. Um, 
Notice the kingdom is for us. And I think that preposition does some work. The kingdom is for us. That is, it's a place we actually get to inhabit. And the kingdom is like for us. We get to move from it. We get to pray. It's like actually for us to participate in. We get to pray your kingdom come. And I think what this boils down to, and I know that's what some, like, some of you who are more practical than I am, like I'm not, A to B is not my style, so um, we're going on a little roller coaster ride. Um, if you pray, something can happen. Wait for it. If you don't pray, nothing's gonna happen. And I love this quote from Dallas Willard. Um, each week, I just wanna get a little Dallas Willard up in us. So here we go. This is from his work, Divine Conspiracy. He says this, Uh, And God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he's answering our prayer when he's only going to do what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray, is not a specter or it's not a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this, and you wouldn't either. See, Jesus isn't in this prayer inviting us into some dead ritual. I think this is actually a rhythm that he's giving to those who want to be with him, who want to participate in a life of love, in joy, in peace. And it starts with us cultivating this orientation toward our Father. I've begun to, I have uh, tiny little humans over there. Um, not all of them are not ours. Um, there's two little dudes over there. And our eldest boy, Griffin, there'll be moments where I'll like come up from the basement or I'll come in from outside and he'll, um, the way our house is set up, you come in from outside, there's the kitchen and then we have a gate because a toddler plus kitchen appliances don't work. And I'll hear him like, um, I don't know, like a herd of elephants coming, daddy, and he'll stop and he'll just look. And it's as though he like wants to be with me. And I see this and I'm just like, yeah, buddy. And it's this sweet, sweet thing. And it's helping me to think that Jesus wants to start us orienting ourselves toward our father. And so maybe today is just the day where you like orient yourself for the first time in a long time to the God of the cosmos who is for you, who wants to literally embrace you, who when he hears you coming to him as like this herd of elephants yelling his name, he says, yeah, that, that's the one. And I think that that place, like he actually wants to hear from us, which this orientation is beautiful because then when you finally turn from your kingdom come, you get to this place where we shift. And we get these words here, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. I don't know how much we like this next line. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. How's that going? Not so well. And lead us not into temptation. And so as we close, I just want to go from here. All of this flows from who our Father is. And because He's for us, because we can actually say with Jesus, it's finished. We can receive and move from that place. 
And I just think like that line about the bread, give us each day our daily bread. Can you think of a story in the, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, where the people of God are like dependent on God daily for bread? Not, uh, this is the story of the Exodus. Maybe you've seen the, like the Prince of Egypt or something. You've got the story. Um, this is a literally daily provision. But this is not just about dependence. This is also about generosity because what this does is it becomes not just a, a, like a static thing, but a rhythm to live out of. See, for us here today, I think for most of us, like my fridge, I have a week's worth of food. And so this is not just about God, give me more today. It's about, oh my gosh, he's given me so much. I get to participate in this and now I get to be a part of that abundance about of like a part of that generous, the generative love of God. Check this out. This is when the Jesus movement was blowing up. In Acts 2.42, we read this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, which is a very uh, churchy word of like the koinonia, to being together. And what do they do? They break bread and they pray. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Our prayer and the meeting of the needs of our community, they go together hand in glove. They actually spill from the same spirit. And from this, the people enjoy favor. The Lord adds to them. And I notice like there's this movement where the provision of God, it comes down, it moves through us. And do you notice that forgiveness is a part of that generative love of the Father? Like because we have received this, we can give this. And I just wanna make one statement. There's so much more to be had here, but just one statement, forgiveness is different than reconciliation. Forgiveness is this, this thing where we who've received forgiveness get to move toward another person and release them from our felt right or real right to hold judgment over them. We actually get to release them from judgment and in turn are released ourselves. That is forgiveness. And if the first word that holds you up in this prayer is father, maybe forgiveness is the pathway that we get to travel to just release that person, father, mother, whomever, like parent of us all, like there's release that needs to take place there so that forgiveness can actually flow. You see, reconciliation is when there's two people who have humbled themselves sufficiently so that they can both move toward one another. Both possess a spirit where they're willing to release the other from judgment. And when you have a community that's coming under one another to build each other up in love, what goes wrong? Probably a lot of stuff, but I think they just get deeper in love. So you see how this prayer, like, it just, come on. The Lord's Prayer. Um, and as we close, I just want to say this because why not talk about uh, temptation at the very end of a prayer, Jesus? You see, if we're the type of community, let's just say that we get our heads and our hearts around the Lord's Prayer. Let's say that we start to orient ourselves toward this generative love of the Father. We start to receive. Let's just say that we start to become the type of people for whom our natural response is to be generous and we forgive. Um, and we do so in the name of Jesus because we get to carry it. I just wonder if opposition comes to those spaces. And, it, and as I'm here with Jesus, he's just saying, and lead us not into temptation. I don't think this is Jesus inviting his disciples to go, oh no, it's a trap. <laughs> like, 
No, I think this is saying if you live in such a way that you love your enemy and the pain of others can actually find its termination point in you, like you can be the place where evil stops, like you're going to encounter some resistance to that. And so Jesus says, let us actually pray for this. And I just want to think about two places that illustrate this. When, um, when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness and then Jesus is tested in the garden, just a thumbs up or thumbs down. Were those happy moments or sad moments? I'm going to say that the, the, was the testing in the wilderness hard? Yes. Jesus is literally asking in the garden, can there be another way? And yet from this place of trust, Jesus receives what the Father is moving him toward. So I, temptation will probably come, testing will probably come, and yet in this place of trust, we can continue to move forward together. And I just submit, this is um, probably the most difficult facet of this prayer for me personally. I, I'm still wrestling like, what, what the heck do you do with lead us not into temptation? <laughs> And so the words of Philip Yancey were actually quite helpful for me because what if the tests, challenging as they may be, are less a sign of God's absence but more a place of his presence? Philip Yancey says this, if prayer stands as, a, as the place where God and human beings meet, then I must learn about prayer. Just the honesty of that. Most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two themes why God doesn't act the way we want God to, and why I don't act the way God wants me to. Prayer is the precise point where those themes converge. So I just wanna invite you guys up. In a moment, we're gonna to respond to this living God who's actually given us this prayer as a gift. Um, you see, t today may be pretty simple. This may be a place where you go, okay, I want this prayer. I need to flip the order. I want to orient myself to the Father. So you're just like, I'm gonna get this in my, in my guts. I'm gonna commit this to my heart and my memory. Or maybe this prayer is just a space where you get to like, it holds space for you to consider, how can I be generous? Maybe this prayer is just one word for you. It's just Father. Wherever you may be, I hope that with the disciples, we can simply say for today and the coming weeks, Lord, teach us to pray. And so I just want to invite you, if you're able, just to, to stand with us. We're going to, uh, one of the ways that we respond in our community to the living word is we want to exalt the name of Jesus. Uh, worship in the Bible is about your whole life. Um, and this is a part of our life. There's something about um, that actually happens in a community. This is why if you go to like a, like a concert and the people know the words to the songs, they're inhaling and exhaling at the same cadence. It like, it does something to the room. There's something physiologically and neurobiologically and stuff I don't understand. And yet what, what I think, um, which matters just, a, just not a lot, um, but I think that when the, then the spirit of the living God joins in the words and worship of the saints, that there's a gift that's given away. And so over these coming songs, I just wanna invite you um, to remember Jesus, to remember his body that's been broken for his blood that's been poured out. And in those moments, perhaps this is the place where you allow the Father to love you. 
where you where we get to as a community say yes this this is the love his love was such that he went to this place to the place of the cross and as followers of Jesus we just have the audacity to remember so let us uh, let us do this church let us remember let us remember who we are and whose we are And let us uh, call on the name of Jesus.